0: I'm Keitel, and I'm Joe, and we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown London, and these days I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast, join us, a few more old mates from school here and there, And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast.
1: Hello, hello, welcome and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. Today I am joined by Joe. We're going to be chatting a bit about England's unfortunate defeat at the hands of Italy in the Euro 2020 final day of recording is Monday the day after that took place Joe how are you doing and um, where were you when you watched the game obviously you're based back in our hometown of London I'm out here in LA what, what were you up to when England were playing Italy
0: hello Kai it's good to be back it's been a while so it's nice you know Euros are done and we're, we're back on it with the United States. Um, yeah I'm feeling unsurprisingly disappointed um I really thought we were going to do it and obviously sadly we didn't um I watched it watched it at a friend's flat um in Clapham in South London and our mutual friend Adam Rose was actually there as well um so yeah he he, he was one of there was there was a few of us so I had a nice barbecue before it was all going very well and then yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get on to it <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but sadly it didn't end too well. But what about you? Where, where were you watching it?
1: It was a reasonably authentic experience. Well, sort of in the sense that it was a pub full of English fans, but it was obviously out here in LA and it was an Irish pub, but the hosts were very gracious. And yeah, like I said, sort of like 95% England fans, there was a guy in an Inter Milan kit and some of his mates who ended up being sort of the Italy contingent, I guess the, the happy party uh, at the end of the day. But as Joe said, we'll we'll get into that i guess we might as well yeah do that right now do you want to kick yeah, things off maybe uh as far as um yeah let's do it positives for um for england's cool. from the tournament from the final mostly i suppose yeah what what can we be proud of and look forward to more of
0: i guess the obvious place to start is that we got to a final given that yeah. it had been 55 years since we'd last been in a major final well any final for that matter so um yeah i think you know you have to you have to give this squad a lot of credit for that there was there's previous england squads that arguably had more talent some of the golden generation squads they never managed it they never even managed semi-finals so yeah i think that's that's got to be where we start isn't that
1: yeah and you know on top of that just being a penalty shootout away from from winning the the final it's not like we were battered or anything like that we at the end of the day, probably were outplayed by the Italians. I think that's sort of widely acknowledged that they were, on the whole, the best team throughout the tournament. And, yeah, on the day as well, yesterday, the better side. But we can hold our heads up high. Whereas, uh, the performances, certainly defensively, we're just such a solid unit throughout the entire tournament. Obviously, we gave up the goal to Bonucci. Pickford was really, really good. That's kind of encouraging, given that our goalkeeping situation is... question marks over that so I think that certain places on the pitch we don't have to be worried about for the next sort of five to ten years so it's a solid foundation to keep building upon.
0: Yeah and I mean I guess there are a lot of players, another positive that actually I don't know if you credit Southgate for this or the players themselves or a bit of both but to be honest I don't think that many people going into the tournament had that high hopes for Jordan Pickford he's one of them where if I'm honest, I didn't want him to start. He, obviously, he'd done well in, in Russia a few years ago, but he'd had a pretty poor season for Everton. I, I wasn't confident he'd be the guy to, to really, you know, you'd really want him in the side in these big games. But in fairness, he's won the Golden Glove. He he had, you know, the, maybe one or two shaky moments throughout the tournament, but he was pretty damn good. And I mean, he saved he saved two penalties in a final in a penalty shootout. So, yeah, I mean, you've got, to, you've got to really feel for Jordan that he hasn't ended up on the winning um, the winning side there. And they were good saves as well. They weren't, you know, they were really like decent.
1: Like a double save from the uh, Jorginho one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was rebounded awful. back in. But yeah, I, agree. Yeah, I probably was... would have taken, um, if he was fit, Nick Pope as the number one. I don't know how sort of widely held that opinion is back home, but I think he's, well, again, you look at Donnarumma, Pope is massive also like Donnarumma think- and in Cour- Courtois as well like these these top top goalkeepers especially of this sort of like more recent generation of just massive so like I think I probably would have taken Pope I,
0: I do wonder if Pope had been fit if he might he, he maybe he would have ended up starting but then in fairness to Southgate he's loyal to players and one of those was Pickford and it
1: yeah, and Pickford did well
0: you've got to say it worked and then on that sort of topic of positivity and players Southgate's loyal to. Another guy, if I'm being completely honest, who I didn't really want him to start was Sterling, Raheem Sterling. I mean, obviously he's a great footballer. I didn't think he'd had the best season. It seemed that he'd obviously been good for City in previous years. I feel like he hadn't played as much maybe this year. But my God, he was on the whole, but maybe our best player for it. I don't know. He was just, he, I don't know if he, if it's just, we were playing a different style to city, but when, basically when he runs at defenders, they shit their pants, basically (laughs) defenders. Basically seems to be the one. Yeah.
1: He's sort of like our Neymar on the ball or as close as we're going to get in the team. I thought that Sterling had a brilliant tournament. There's a lot of people saying he was even, you know, one of the players of the tournament, which I would agree with. He's got, yeah, that end product. And, defensive output too the guy doesn't really stop running defending from the front too so yeah i think sterling is one of the players who who really is sort of stock has risen throughout throughout this tournament um after a sort of indifferent season despite winning the league with with city i guess the real sort of question marks i know this is the sort of positive section that we're supposed to be in will be at sort of who else is out there sort of creating and attacking besides sterling that was one of our downfalls but um, in between yeah. the goalkeeper and Sterling, there were other positive performances throughout from Maguire, um, who was fantastic. Um, actually, really good uh, yesterday as well. Again, a shame that he was one of those players who who ended up on the losing side. Um, and then in midfield, Calvin Phillips. I thought Declan Rice was un, uh, kind of unfortunate to be subbed off. I thought he was having actually quite well, a brilliant decent today, game.
0: Rice. He yeah. honestly, he made a few of those. I think it was in the first half, he made two or three runs where he just like, he went past about two or three players each time. You could tell he was obviously so pumped for the final. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, you'd think he's probably going to leave West Ham, but they'll probably, like rightly so now, demand a lot of money for him. Because um, he, yeah. he's, he's got that... I mean, look, there's the English premium price, but he genuinely exactly. looks like a top player. I think he's proved it. And like you were saying... Calvin Phillips as well, again, I know he's been in the Premier League for a year now, there'd even been quite a lot of hype about him when he was playing in the Championship, but I don't think it was until seeing him at this tournament that I sort of truly saw how good he was, if I'm being honest um, Yeah, he's the yeah, type of you've... player
1: that, sorry Stephen Allendown, who we've had on the pod our, our good friend, he's the type of guy who, right back if we were back at school, he would rave about every week or something like that, and just because he wasn't in the yeah, yeah, didn't watch the games, we would just be like yeah, yeah, like, alright, alright, but he is actually, yeah, he's really good, isn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he used to do that about. I think Johnny Howson, maybe <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> who sadly I don't think ever did play for England. But no, Phillips. Um, Phillips was brilliant. Um, another. I mean, it's an obvious one to speak about, especially because of last night. But Luke Shaw um, was brilliant. And he's um, really
1: good. You have to be pleased for him as well after one of the worst leg breaks you're ever going to suffer in, in, you know, yeah, any, any think- player's career.
0: And I think like we've spoken, about, maybe not on the podcast, but we've definitely spoken about like leading up to that leg break. He was looking so good for Man U, and even though there's this sort of joke about him, this because he kind of looks a bit like a he obviously doesn't look like the fittest footballer. I feel like that's sort of been a post-injury thing as well. I feel like he when he was younger, he there wasn't kind of this banter around Luke Shaw. I don't, I don't know if it's partly because obviously Jose Mourinho effectively started bullying him <laughs> like at Man U, which didn't. <laughs> Didn't help things, but no, he's um, it's pretty impressive to see how he's turned things around because uh, many players who you know were in his situation, not just the Mourinho criticism, but literally having that awful leg break, wouldn't come back to the level he has managed to get to. So I mean, look, Chilwell didn't play one minute at the world at the mm. well, not the World Cup, the Euros, and even though there was the COVID thing and Billy Gilmore, that's partly because Luke Shaw was just undroppable, really, when he was playing. He was that good, I think most of the time. Yeah,
1: one of our star men and I think um probably another reason why we saw Sterling perform the way that he did in in some ways given that he had someone often when he was out on the left Sterling in games because he would sort of swap flanks, someone like Luke Shaw behind you that that doesn't doesn't make it any harder to play to play well, that's for sure. You sort of have the defensive reliability behind you knowing that he's probably going to mop it up and then he's going to make those runs pull defenders out of, you know, other opposition fullbacks out of position. And that creates space for Sterling to drive at and whoever's on the left to drive at. Shaw was a massive contributing factor. And you saw in, you know, the goal that he scored sort of being able to overload, obviously. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the tech, the technique for the volley, the, the cross from Trippier is, is really good. And I think he also deserves a lot of credit for playing a bit part role, sort of a specialty role in this tournament for England. Sort of just playing a few minutes here and there. Obviously he was on the pitch. For the delivery that he ended up providing only two minutes into the game, for sure. So, I guess that that could be an example of Southgate managing the squad well. Maybe we'll turn the corner to these um, to the negative yeah. side of things, and that that might be a place to start. Is is Southgate's management of of England in, in in terms of negatives?
0: I think so. I think so. And also, I don't want to be too down on Southgate, given we've just got to a final, and he did look. He's proved a lot of people wrong, and he made bold decisions that a lot of people wouldn't have made and he maybe went more defensive than many you know when you look at on paper at the England squad we had some of the the best attacking players going but we'll go to that I mean I guess I'll say I know we got to the final I know we were a, a penalty shootout away from winning but he was it was quite negative a lot of the time and especially just thinking about yesterday I actually thought the first half we were brilliant and we were deservedly 1 0 up at half time. But quite early on in the second half, it became apparent that Italy were all over us. They, I think they had like 70% possession of the ball. And it felt like we, the, I don't know, he didn't, I, I just feel like Southgate didn't react quick enough. He, we didn't bring, I don't know, I think we, we didn't actually bring someone on until Benucci had scored. But it felt for about 10 minutes before Benucci scored. Like the people I was watching the game with anyway, everyone was sort of saying, Oh, we need fresh legs, we need fresh legs. He didn't he didn't do it. What do you what do you think about that that whole situation from yesterday? Did he just react too slowly or did he just trust his players too much, arguably? Or what was it? No,
1: uh, I mean thousands of miles away, I was saying the exact same thing to my friends who sort of again, they're they're Americans, so it's not their sport. They 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 were sort of enjoying the pub experience and the whole kind of, yeah, like The day out thing more than anything so they didn't really understand as much what i was saying as 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 the people around (laughs) you would have been having a conversation about it but no essentially i said to them you know italy have made those subs i think they brought on uh was it chrisante maybe and like uh, berardi or something like that possibly prior to the the goal
0: yeah yeah i think so and,
1: and that changed the game. You know, you what you don't necessarily think like, oh, Crescente, Crescente and Verardi, like game changers in a, in a cup final. But they did, to be fair to them, it was more of a system change because immobile was, to be honest with you, a bit useless on the day. And Mancini realized that, and so he changed the way that Italy were playing. Um and after that, you know, it was pretty instant impact. And you could tell England needed to do something. Whether they needed a leader on the pitch to, you know, sort of get a few players and let let them know to, you know, sort of step it up, or if they needed to freshen things up, neither of those things happened. And you could just tell the pressure was sort of building and building and building until the Benucci equalizer again, fair enough. Pickford made a decent save in just before it went in, but yeah, I think Southgate's lack of sort of a decision in that moment to either maybe be the one from the sideline himself to rile up the guys or to make the actual substitution, I don't know what that. What do you think that would have been? What what do you what sub would you have made?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it was a bit maybe like. Gree- in the Grealish? Grealish yeah, I get, think we, get a
1: bit more possession, get a bit more. Yeah, thrust.
0: I think probably maybe looking back, maybe Grealish for Mount would have been. Yeah. Like. I mean, I actually thought Mount Mount played pretty well to be honest, and he had a. It feels a bit so, like so not so kind but he had a showed a lot of energy and he was pressing and mm. stuff, but. It felt like we need... If we were going to sit deep, we needed someone when we did get the ball who could maybe unlock things a bit and kind of set us in the way. And it felt like we didn't really have that um, in the second half.
1: In the the same note of players picking the ball up and, you know, gaining yards and sort of buying time for your team and and saving energy on defending, massively disappointed not to see Sancho in the entire tournament as much as, you know, we, we saw him get one game there and then you know come on to take a penalty that you missed but the guy's just gone to united for like nearly what 90 million yeah. quid or something like that so like how, how can he not i know we england have a good team but like, no, surely, like surely surely this guy's a starter for, for any I mean, international team pretty much
0: i mean pre the euro starting I remember when I was sort of you know thinking of like my starting lineup for the Croatia game I had Sancho in the starting lineup for that as I think a lot of people did and then he ominously didn't even make the bench I remember for that game so there was at that point there was it was clear something wasn't quite right because that wasn't due to an injury that was a tactical decision yeah it's it's odd with Sancho because I can't claim to watch loads of the Bundesliga whenever I've seen Sancho play he always looks quality and his stats seem to back that up as well and hence why, like you said, he's about, well, has he, has, Is it gone through the move to Man U? Is that, is that actually? Yeah, that's now?
1: confirmed. I yeah.
0: Believe. So, so yeah, like he's gone to Man U for close to a hundred million and there's a reason for it. They haven't, I mean, Man U typically overspend on players, mm. but I actually think he's going to do very well at, at Man U. I'm think that's yeah. um, maybe it's not exactly what they needed, but he, he's arguably an upgrade on someone like a Martial or even a Rashford. Um yeah, that that was odd. I mean, I even you could even argue he underused Grealish a bit in the tournament as well. Yeah. I know Grealish played um, a lot, and I, I have no issue with like when he brought Grealish off in the Denmark game. I didn't really have a, a when I don't know some people in the press seem to try to make a bit of a thing out of that. But yeah, I found that even a bit weird. How Grealish is so creative and so like just even having him on, he just draws so many fouls. People panic when he's on the ball and foul him. Basically, seems to be how it works. Um, which would have been really useful in that second half, given that Italy were actually annoyingly good at those cynical fouls, as, and they knew the right moment to like hack someone and stuff. We could have de- we could have done with Grealish um, a bit earlier, yeah, winning some fouls for us there. But um, no, it's odd. It's kind of when you think about Southgate, apart from Sterling, all the players earlier. We were saying. Kind of done better than we expected, or were kind of more defensive-minded players, and he seems to have done really well with those guys. But given the wealth of options we had in the attack, arguably he's un- yeah he's underused. A lot of guys who really should have done more, could have, or maybe could have done more if they were given the opportunity to do more. I guess.
1: Well, speaking of the abundance of, sort of talent in attack, and this is not just a a jive because of sort of our allegiances, obviously me being an Arsenal fan and you being a Spurs fan. But what did you make of Harry Kane's performance in the final? He took a great penalty and had a bit of a role in the opening goal, uh, the sort of move that led up to it. But obviously, again, he's sort of like the main talisman as far as goals in particular. What, what did you make of
0: yeah. his performance? Yeah, I think, you know, a bit of a role. I think he had quite a big role in the goal. You know, he... he um, Made a lo- lovely pass to to Kieran Trippier, who whipped it in for obviously Luke Short. Now I thought in the first half he was doing that thing that he started doing for Tottenham a lot more, dropping deep. He linked up with Trippier a few times actually, kind of spreading it over to him. And he always like He clearly enjoys doing that as well. He likes. Um, he obviously loves scoring goals, but he likes um, having more of an impact in the game than purely being the goal scorer um which is why i guess in the league he got so many assists last year when he was playing with son but um yeah look he i think he did pretty well overall he maybe in the second half he didn't do as much but then i feel like in the second half england were all over the place anyway and they, there was i don't i don't really know if what more he could have done in the in the second half i think he showed a lot of character to score that penalty obviously Thank God he stuck that rebound away, but oh my God, that was probably one of the worst Kane penalties against Denmark I've seen in well <laughs> forever. Basically, that he normally he's I well, mean, I look you. As, as you saw as you saw yesterday, normally he's a, such a brilliant penalty taker, but that one against Denmark, I don't know, I don't know if that was just nerves kicked in for that moment. But no, I I think yet again Kane has proven a lot of people wrong. I know he was pretty terrible to be honest in the group stages, and ironically, even in that Germany game, he wasn't wasn't amazing, but he popped up with a goal when it mattered in a big game for England. He then scored a couple against Ukraine, which is great, obviously. And then I know he messed up the penalty, but he, he ultimately scored the goal to take us to the semis. And I, I think he was okay in the final. I don't, I don't have too much of him a problem with her. I don't, I don't have too much of a problem with anyone from the final. I actually, without... Again, I think I, if I blame anyone, and maybe it's just Harshgate, it's probably more Southgate than the players just because I feel like he he got tactically outdone by Mancini, basically. Yeah, yeah no, I, 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 know I agree if, with that. It's, yeah, it's a penalty lottery, but like you were saying earlier, I think if it was a boxing match and it was one on points, Italy probably were the better team overall, just about. I'd say it was close, but they probably were a bit better than us. But maybe, I don't know, is that a, is that a good time to talk about the Italians, the winning team? I know we... <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think rather than just pile on the misery, because I think we 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 obviously could do that, and a lot of people are doing that. But yeah, let's maybe shine a different light on this and praise the Italians for playing a good game. I guess maybe before we do heap praise on them, let's say one thing that's slightly controversial, um, that at the end of the day, the decision made was never going to be a different decision, but you don't like to see it. I suppose maybe Chiellini's um grab on saka when um right at the end of was that right at the end of normal time or at the end of extra time i think right at the end of extra extra time yeah yeah. um that again it's that thing where like if you've watched football for long enough you know that it's a a yellow card but it it kind of should be a red card it's just blatant cheating and also actually quite quite aggressive and violent um
0: and yeah, if it had been
1: closer I mean, to the goal, it would have been a red card because he would have been kind of through. But
0: Yeah, um, I mean, he made, he made no attempt to win the ball. Um, arguably, Saka was through. I'm sure there's probably none, but as it looked like Saka did have a bit of a clear run, um, certainly down that right-hand side of the pitch. Yeah, the, the Cellini, both Cellini and Benucci, I mean, I'm biased with Cellini because he said that thing about Tottenham that time, which makes me hate him, where he randomly, like, said, this is the history of Tottenham, when seemingly there was no beef between Cellini and Tottenham. <laughs> but, um, yeah, both him and Benucci, I thought, whilst they're quality defenders, they have that annoying habit. They just they just know what they can get away with, essentially, and they're, they're annoyingly, they're bloody good at it. They just mm. about stick on the right-hand side of the law, and yeah, I agree with you. the 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 thing on Saka was really bloody annoying. It's Probably, yeah, like you said, if it's further up the pitch, it might be a red card. But they just they 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 played long enough where they they just they just know what it is that they have to do. And sort of fair play to them, but also just they're just annoying. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. I just find yeah. them both really like reluctantly like respect them, but I don't like either of them. I think they're twats. But you know, they 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 did what they had to do.
1: What do you think about? Them as a force moving forward. There's a lot of players in their yeah. team who are kind of still on the rise. Definitely, you know, Chiesa's an obvious one, uh, but there's obviously. There's he others. was brilliant.
0: Yeah. I mean, Chiesa, just on him, he, I thought he was, he'd had a brilliant tournament, but it felt like, I know he didn't score last night, it felt like he, he almost got even better. Like, well, we've been saying how good the England defence were. It felt like they couldn't really deal with him at points. When he, when he sort of picked up some steam, but he liked cutting on onto his right foot a lot. But I mean, he was, even though it's easy to say, oh, you shouldn't let him cut inside it, and felt at some points he was just playing with such pace and power and skill that it was pretty difficult for those England defenders to to deal with him. And he, I suppose in some ways he was unlucky not to score. He had that shot in the first half, which went a bit wide, quite a good move. And then he also, I think Pickford made, potentially made quite a good save in the second half from him too. Um, but like you, I mean, the thing I just felt about the Italy team the whole tournament is that they would just the the team was so collectively good. Effectively, they they could they all knew exactly what their role was. They they've had this crazy unbeaten run. Was it like thirty four games?
1: Yeah, now something unbeaten. like that. Yeah, and
0: it kind of made sense in a way from the way they played. They they they, they seem to they just seem to have some sort of like not an arrogance about them, but a confidence that even when they weren't playing so well in the first half, they did, their heads didn't go down. They they stuck at it, kind of knowing that if they if they just stayed in the game, eventually the tide would turn, which it obviously did in the second half. And I think, yeah, a bit like going back to how ultimately Southgate probably screwed up a bit tactically yesterday. Mancini, you have to say he's done amazingly mm-hmm. well with the team that weren't even in the World Cup um, a few years ago. So... I mean, he's he's. I kind of forgot about Mancini for a while, but he's certainly back in the the big time now, albeit on the international stage these days. But
1: yeah, he's done an amazing job. Um, He had sort of like fallen from the limelight after his success at City, um, but now he's yet sort of back in in a big way, and I think masterminded the success of the Italians and has been doing so since he sort of arrived, and he has to take a lot of credit, even just sort of the passion that you saw from. Famously, kind of now throughout the tournament, the images of the team huddling for a couple of the penalty shootouts and just otherwise showing so much passion in celebrating the wins that they've had, and um, even friggin' Benucci with the "it's going to Rome or whatever" shit at the end of know, the game, know, right in oh the camera. God. But the point is, like, that you can see how confident and sort of carefree the group is because they're just they're just focused on one thing as a collective and they have each other's backs and they're all pulling in the same direction and so that goes a long way they remind me a lot of an Atletico Madrid um, team of the last sort of few years or so that have just ground out success not always playing the most attractive football but sort of if you keep your eye on it playing very very effective football with good technical players in their side it's just not you know what what everyone likes to see necessarily Um, but Italy sort of took that model and i think maybe with the the sort of wing back play or the fullback play actually did make it quite quite exciting at times especially when uh Spinazzola before he got injured in, uh in the tournament so they didn't play like boring football necessarily if anything they played more nah. and more ambitious football than, than england did in the final that's that's for sure but yeah they're not like it's not the spain team that you know dominated for a few years recently and it's nah. not the it's nah. not the germany of germany side either but they won the, you know, they, they won the tournament. Yeah,
0: but it's kind of in a way, maybe more impressive is not the right way of saying it, but because, you know, they they had a lot of great players, but they didn't have like a superstar or even a few superstars like some of those other teams had, and yet they still looked brilliant. And actually, I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. They kind of do play a lot like Atletico Madrid. That's quite a good kind of comparison in a way that they, and and, and in the same way that Atletico Madrid have like maintained pretty consistent level performance for a number of years under Simeone you wonder if Mancini stays there now for a bit if they could really maybe not win the next few tournaments but certainly be hitting semi-finals or above for for a while now
1: it depends on probably Bonucci and Chiellini to be honest with you as far as like how long they'll stick it out as in- Italian yeah. internationals because behind them off the top of my head you've got probably uh there's that guy at Inter Milan I can't remember his name he's a left-footed center back who's quite good I don't know if he's even Ambrosio? or was that someone no
0: right? I'm
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be like going for it for too long so I'm, I'll just I'll just move on but he's quite he's supposed to, despite me not knowing his name he's quite good um and then there's uh, a couple of other sort of you know the point is there's no more banuchis and there's no more yeah, to out
0: there but what there is in theory there for a long long time is their goalie, Donnarumma, who obviously yeah. massively played his part last night and as he did throughout the tournament. And you've got to... I mean, what is he? He's 21 or something? 22, I think, yeah, like
1: 22 or, maybe. He could be one yeah, of the 22. best ever. I think he could be like yeah. absolutely one of the best ever.
0: And honestly, look, he's going to need a couple of two or three centre-backs, whatever formation they play going forward in front of him. But you kind of get the feeling with him in goal, as long as they have like a decent enough team, he's he's going to be such a big asset for them um, for mm. the next, I don't know, close to 20 years, probably, um, which is mad, but probably, that's what, Buffon's technically still going, um, so, and he's like yeah. 41, 42, so. Yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's true. I've just looked up the name of that guy, Bastoni. Is, is oh, guy. Bastoni,
0: yeah. Um, I've heard he's that. supposed
1: to be quite good. Um, so, the, you know, they've got good players coming through, and I think, you know, you said they don't really have any superstars, but I think they will have some superstars in the next sort of over the next few years because Chiesa is looking like well, he's, he's going be to yeah, be their guy kind of for the next, you know, while they've got somebody who didn't even um, make the squad because of injury. But I think I've seen on social media has like recently gotten back to fitness and his training with his club and is going to be a Jose Mourinho player uh, this coming season is uh, Zaniolo. Um, he's someone oh, who yeah. is very, very highly rated in Italy. I think someone who is like silent but deadly player, played a massive role in the uh, team's success throughout the tournament is Varela, who's young and just won uh, Serie A with, with Inter. He's actually like, I think he, in some ways is kind of like the second coming of Verratti and they managed to put him out on the, and the, like, Verratti on the same pitch and that's not a bad combo. Um, so
0: yeah. they've got and these the guys... Other- they have that other guy, Sandro Tonali, who we've spoken about before. Who, Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think he was in the squad, he, was
1: he?
0: Yeah, and I mean, he's someone who's just signed permanently for AC Milan and by all mm-hmm. accounts, I think, had a good season for AC Milan. Um, but yeah, he's just another midfielder they've got, who, in theory, is going to have a really brilliant career. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, maybe a few of these good... Well, this, this, they're better than good. These players. Verratti's a superstar, arguably already. But the, like you said, maybe there there will be a few superstars emerging. But as long as they play within the system the way they have been already, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe they maybe they will do it at Qatar, or at the very least, the, the, I think minimum semi-finals is what they have to have to go for at this point. We'll see.
1: Yeah, barring sort of Mancini going elsewhere, I think you would have to have to sort of, yeah, stand behind that. I think going into the tournament, they, they're a threat at this point. Um, and yeah, again, aside from a couple of players, most of the team is just getting better and better. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I think rather than dwell more on uh, Euro 2020, uh, it was a good tournament, really entertaining games here and there. And obviously as an England fan in particular, kind of a, an interesting narrative to, stick with until the bitter the most bitter events but moving on from that let's go back to our club football no, season
0: i don't want them back <laughs>
1: <laughs> well the season's sort of yeah nearly nearly around the corner i think england uh, arsenal rather play uh Hibs tomorrow in the official oh, really? sort of first yeah preseason thing i don't, don't, think. I don't know what Spurs' schedule's like but i think don't we play each other in the preseason season game yeah
0: today? yeah there is um that your stadium we- I think it, I know that it's in a tournament with Chelsea as well, and like uh, okay. you play one game at home and one away. It's at Market
1: Road, time. probably just ask. decide between Arsenal, it. Chelsea, and uh, Yeah, why not? Um, why not? But I guess, well, you you seem like you don't want to talk about it, but I'll just put you on the spot then. Anyway, uh, you know, what are you making of of Spurs's uh, preseason shaping up? Uh, ins outs, players in. Managers in.
0: God, where do I begin? This is what's so depressing right now. I mean, the the we started with a positive for England, so I'll start with positive for Tottenham. We have a manager. (laughs) I know that's depressing. (laughs) That's what it's got to now. Like, Nuno is our manager. I can't say that I wasn't annoyed by him being appointed, but I wasn't particularly inspired by it. Given we've been sold this dream of kind of an attacking manager whatever, you know, restoring the Tottenham DNA, which I don't even know what that means. What Daniel Levy came out with that slightly bizarre statement. Um, look, Nuno, was they, Wolves weren't good last year, but prior to that, he had a, two pretty impressive seasons at Wolves. And even though I'm maybe not the biggest fan of his style of football, it's quite Mourinho-esque, um, he seems like quite a passionate guy and maybe someone where... If he can get off to a good start, someone that the fans can get behind. I think we can get onto it maybe in a bit. I think he's gonna have an incredibly tough, tough job on his hands. Um it's, there's just so much for Tottenham to do at the moment. It's a bit like Arsenal, but we've got we've got so many players at the moment that need to need to be sold. I don't know how many of them will actually be sold just because of the COVID transfer market where there's not that much money floating around. There's obviously the problem with Harry Kane. I had this sort of dream that maybe if England won the Euros, Kane would obviously have won something that might have made him be a bit more chilled about not leaving. Um, sadly, we didn't win, and if I'm brutally honest, if I was Kane, I'd probably want to leave as well. Which is depress I can't leave. I'm saying that as a no, lifelong Tottenham <laughs> fan, but <laughs> you can't you can't blame him for wanting to for wanting to leave the club at this point in time. The, the depressing thing is, there's probably going to be like a really. Terrible transfer saga, which will drag on and drag on and drag on, and he might not even be sold. I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of keep him, and it gets nasty. But
1: when does the contract what? run until twenty 2020- well, twenty?
0: Three more years left, so I could see them at least keeping him another year, um, even against his will. Even even though the, uh, I think there's there's reports that there was some sort of gentleman's agreement, obviously not legally binding, but it wouldn't surprise me if Daniel Levy had sort of said one thing to him, and is now conveniently kind of. Going back on that promise to Kane, ugh, I—it's it, a tricky one. It kind of feels like until the Kane situation is resolved one way or another, it's going to be very difficult to know what happens with us. But almost either way, I'm not—I'm not hopeful that. Well, I'm hopeful next season will be a success for Spurs, but there's so much for Nuno to do, and like you said, the season's not that far away. We're, we're about, I think we're linked with, um, well, we're about to sign this Japanese defender, Takahiro Tomiyasu. From he Pilonia. looks
1: quite good.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I hope he's, I've read stuff about him which suggests, he's, like you said, he's quite good. Uh, I, I can't claim to know too much about him. That I'd, You know what, I'd take another defender at this point, given the, mm. the standard I our defending last year. Um, I, it's, such, it's such a tricky one to even know where to start with Tottenham. I mean, what do you think as an Arsenal fan? Obviously, we'll get onto Arsenal in a bit, but looking in at Spurs, like what, what do you think is going to happen? Or like, what would you be doing at Spurs if you had some say in who, who was coming in, who was going, et cetera, et cetera?
1: I think, yeah, defensively, there were obviously some issues because despite Mourinho, who is notoriously a, you know, quite a defensive expert strategist, being there, your defense was not too tight throughout the season. So I think that's personnel that needs to be yeah, addressed. You need to move on part ways from you know the likes of Eric Dyer and possibly even um, uh, Sanchez as well, despite the massive price tag. Um, so, yeah, room for improvement. Joe Roden looks decent, but I don't think you want to necessarily rely on him. I don't think that's fair to him for Tottenham to rely on Joe Roden. Yeah. Um, and Definitely full-backs not. as well. Doherty came in, so maybe it's going to be like a resurgent time The revival. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the one massive positive, I guess, could be that. Although it's weird with Oreo, because like, he's probably, you know, he's probably been your best. Well, he's been your only really and best right-back, you know, since he's pretty much been at the, the club for the most part.
0: Um, Did you see what happened with him a couple of weeks ago? I think he's, I don't know if he's on holiday or if he, it was international duty, but he was in the Ivory Coast playing in a, this is the most Oriette thing of all time. He was playing in a street football game, basically, with a few other players. And for some yeah. reason, in the, the game, he's wearing a man-new training top, which, look, I know it's not like the worst thing in the world, but you're like, yeah. come on. Why? You know, he knows that the, he's just, he's just, but that's kind of Serge Aurier for you. He's just a bit yeah. of a clown. He's just like,
1: yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I guess.
0: I my glove, basically.
1: I guess, in like a full-circle way, the fact that that's being taken back in. The Ivory Coast, where you can assume he's probably come a pretty damn long way from. I, I, I think he's been living in France for a while, so I don't, I don't know how long he was in Ivory Coast. But anyway, like he's come a long way from wherever he started to Spurs. So, on some levels, from a human perspective, like who can blame him for getting a bit carried away, I guess, and sort of just like enjoying things and not taking it too seriously because he's probably experienced things that are a lot more serious than. Um, did his Did his brother Did he have an unfortunate? Yeah. Family?
0: His brother got shot dead, sadly, last year. Yeah, so, like,
1: um, you know, why does he give a... He doesn't give a fuck about football, Sir Jaurier. You know, he cares about his family and stuff like that. And, you know, making sure yeah, they you know, uh, have a good life for generations to come. And it's, and it's for, your fault, it's your fault as Spurs, sorry, for signing him in the first place, because Arsenal were linked with him for a very long time. And there was always, always notoriously, since he was at Toulouse, issues about his attitude. And
0: yeah, so, and there's... Well, that's why. There's all and that's, you know, he didn't
1: last at PSG. So, you know, it's okay. like another sort of Levy... Masterclass.
0: I know, I know. Um, That was our grand replacement for Carl Walker. (laughs) Right, yeah. um, But yeah, like you said, beyond Aurier, there's there's, this look. he, like you said, ironically, actually at points he can be quite good, depressing. uh, Yeah, he to to yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah, there's just, there's so many players that need to go. Um, The Kane situation is going to drag on for a while. I just, when you bear all of that in mind, even if we bring in a few people, even that situation gets solved. I don't, I don't think Nuno is going to be able to get something going in pre-season. It feels like if any, the start of the season is going to be rough. And actually, our first game is against Man City at home. Ironically, right. our second game is at Molyneux against Wolves. So very realistically, when you assume Man City will probably beat us, they might not, but probably will. And then given we're going to Molyneux and you assume the Wolves team and the, the fans, if the fans are back, are going to be pretty pumped, that could be a very tough game as well. We, we could quite realistically have zero points from the first two games.
1: Or you could have a full stadium at home to City where Nuno's managed to sort of like get these guys on their top game for a massive game and sort of, you know, the, the, the Nuno effect, a new manager can sort of galvanize them and you could win that game and you could go on and beat Wolves away from home and you could have six points. Um, oh, and, I hope you're right. You know, like everyone thinks... <laughs> I really thinks, hope you're right. You know, I, I think like you just never know. You just never yeah. know. Is the is the and point? it feels and
0: so like I, I think you're right. As in that this it could go it could go either way. And maybe yeah, maybe we'll get lucky first game back with loads of supporters. But the problem I think is if it does go badly, I think given the you know the anti levy stuff at the moment, rightly so, and the just the general discontentment around Tottenham fans, people. Are going to lose patience very quickly, whether that's right or wrong. So I just really hope for Nuno's sake that we do have, at least, at least even if we're not winning, that there's something to be excited about because it could get quite unpleasant quite quickly. Mm. I think.
1: Well, before we move on to Arsenal's side of things, I guess let me ask you, is there someone we're going to be seeing a lot more of this season? Are we going to see Ryan Sessegnon? Are we going to see uh oliver skip are we gonna see uh you know any of these guys
0: yeah i mean there was a little chuckle in your voice there oliver skip i think well (laughs) this sounds so stupid look apparently i can't claim i watched many norwich games last year but (laughs) apparently apparently i think he got their player of the season in a season where they destroyed the championship which is you know
1: He's he not going League. back on. Wouldn't you just loan him back? Sorry to interrupt.
0: No, 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 no. No, they they've just got Billy Gilmore, so they kind yeah, of replaced. Yeah. They kind of filled that young Premier League loney role. But I think, given how Winks is regressing pretty badly, and le- hopefully will be sold. Apparently, Villa interest. Villa seem to be interested in everyone though, so who knows if that's true? But. um Hopefully Winks will be sold. Hopefully Sissoko will go. He <laughs> probably won't. But <laughs> if if we can shift a few of those players, I think it really opens up an opportunity for even if if Skip's you know he's not our, our no. starting mid, I think um, I think he will play quite a bit actually, and I would not be surprised. Look, I really like Ran on as well, but he seems to primarily play as a wing back, and you'd think Ragion will will remain number the number one wing-back for the, for the time being. I think Skip is the one out of those two who will probably be more likely to break into the team and impress people. But then in the Conference League, which we are depressingly in, the likes of Dane Scarlett, I mean, he's only 17. So again, it could be a false dawn when he's so young. But... Him and that Alfie Divine guy who scored in the FA Cup for us, who's also 17, early uh, in the season. I think you know it will be really interesting to see those guys in the, this slightly pathetic tournament. But maybe again, that will be a positive that we'll get to see some of the young players a bit more. But you yeah, know, I, I I don't know, Kai. I'm I'm I can't say I'm I'm that. I'm that hopeful things will go well. Well, I am I said it but I'm hopeful but I'm not confident. But anyway, enough about Tottenham before I before I get too panicky. Let's talk about Arsenal. Um who clearly like Spurs are in a bit of a bit of a tricky situation. You first time in ages you haven't made it into Europe, which we might get. maybe that's a good thing. But um look, I, I guess starting off Arteta it's a big summer ahead for him. Presumably, he needs to he needs to get this preseason and, and the transfers right. All oh, I know that's not all down to him, but yeah, what? How important is this this summer to Arteta? Do you think?
1: Uh, it's make or break, and it started kind of shakily because of we brought in oh officially finally what was it? Assigning uh, Nuno Tavares from Benfica, left back from Benfica yeah, back yeah. up, left back, giving me strong Ali Sissoko vibes. Uh, so I'm not not too not overly excited about that. He reminds me in some ways of Kalasenash as well, who I think we're probably desperately trying to sell. In theory, that's probably Kalasenash's replacement. Um, but yeah, anyway, we'll see about that. Um, he he's young. Benfica produced good young players. Um, we've signed him. He's an Arsenal player now, so I'll back him. Um, and he's a backup to Tierney, so uh, it's not like a. A massive kind of uh, gamble on this guy. We're not investing too much money or um, faith in the guy yet. So it is what it is. The flip side is the Saliba loan. Oh
0: yeah, that's that's to all been Marseille, weird.
1: I guess. Yeah, like that's kind of again. I'm not going to weigh in on it yet because what people on Twitter seem to forget is that Saliba still actually is quite young and hasn't played in the Premier League yet, and like plenty of players come into the Premier League later in their careers and are successful and it's fine. So like, if he has a great season at Marseille and then we is ready to come back into the team and play, then cool. If we are spending reportedly 50 million on Ben White, Ben White's going to partner Gabriel or Holding or Mari or whatever. And our defense that was one of the best defenses in the Premier League last season gets even better, which you couldn't necessarily guarantee that it would do from Saliba. You can't guarantee that it will from Ben White either, but there's a bit more... Common sense to that signing, then, like, it's a great play from Arteta to get Saliba more first team action somewhere at a good level and bring in a center back who's going to improve the team at the same time and then be able to bring, you know, Saliba back later. So, like, I'm not going to judge that, but a lot of people have sort of given up on Arteta purely because of the Saliba and the Genduzi situation, too, where he's sort of taken a player who was worth X amount in Genduzi before he arrived and now is. I think we've got an obligation in Marseille to sign him for 10 mil at the end of the season, which is kind of disappointing basically means we'll sort of like break even on our investment in him in the first place, maybe profit slightly. Um, so that hasn't gone great. If Ben White comes in, that'll be good. We need to also sign a creative midfielder. Um, seems like we're signing this guy, Sammy Laconga from Anderlecht um, as I think a, a backup player in midfield with a quite high ceilings. He's young. So that, Sounds like good business. That's the type of business that you see other clubs doing, you know, signing young players and, you know, improving them. Like a Leicester signing.
0: City type signing. Yeah, in
1: way. 100%. So, yeah. And, and that's a good model recently. And uh, on the flip side of that, Xhaka seems to be on his way to play for Mourinho. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, which that,
0: that, I, that seems to make sense, to be honest, that kind of...
1: It, it does. I think they'll get on quite well um, until they don't get on anymore. And then it'll be a spectacular falling out. But otherwise, like Xhaka... But Arsenal fans need to be careful what they wish for because he's actually been quietly one of our best players um, since Arteta arrived in particular and has been not just, you know, performances doing well, but like sits in that kind of linchpin central midfield position that needs to be replaced. And since he's been at the club, we haven't been able to sort of play players ahead of him and have them be successful for any decent amount of time. So it's not like it's just a position that's going to take care of itself. Um, we've got Joe Willett coming through is it being held to one side for him i don't think so i think we're going to sign a big player in there and then we just need to shift bodies we've done that a bit starting out it looks like we're trying to still get rid of someone like Bellerin even Willian louise is gone um has gone saliba i guess is gone for the time being so that just creates space and we're, we're getting on with it um but it's a massive massive summer and is all still to play for in the transfer market for Arsenal, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but I think uh, the general feeling from Arsenal fans at the end of last season was that we finished where we finished in spite of ourselves, and that we could have actually finished much higher if we just weren't idiots at certain points throughout the season, either that <laughs> being Arteta or the players on the pitch um, making you know the wrong decision or missing chances, but we weren't actually that far off, and given how bad we did start, had we not had that awful start which you'd think we might not happen again to us anytime too soon hopefully as an Arsenal fan then we would have been basically in the fight for fourth place and we definitely would have been in in Europe because we just about missed out on it um which I'm not upset about if we had to miss out on the conference league (laughs) Uh, so it is what it is um what do you take what's your take on Arsenal
0: yeah it's a Arsenal a very weird team I think more so than Tottenham in that I don't know maybe yeah. maybe there's grounds for more optimism at Arsenal at the moment than Spurs, which is depressing to say, but I don't know. It feels, it was a bit like last year after when Arteta won the FA Cup and then you started the see, I remember, it was, I know it was Fulham, but the, that first game of the season, Arsenal looked quite good and quite confident and then maybe you won a couple of other games. I don't know, it just feels, you feel like you're a sort of team that, I don't know if, like mentally quite a fragile team, like if, when you hit a bad Patch of run, you bad form. You know for about four or five games, Arsenal were going to be a bit crap. Um, like you said, the the challenge this year for Arsenal is to, if well, at some when it when the bad form comes, to limit it to just two or three games and kind of not let it fester. And you know, just that that period last year when you were losing to Burnley and I know Leicester. You was I forget who it was you. You lost loads of games on the bounce in a very un-Arsenal like way. I think that's just the like you said, actually, the defense was quite good. The second half of the season, once you brought Smith Rowe in and once um well obviously Saka and um, poor I feel I can't I'm saying it was poor Bakayo Saka at the moment. Once like he him yeah. and Smith Rowe were um were doing were doing better, you looked you looked pretty good. I mean I don't know it's I, I, I feel Arsenal like I said, maybe there's grounds for a bit more optimism, but honestly, I, I have I couldn't I couldn't tell you at the moment how Arsenal are gonna do next year. I don't I don't know if you're just gonna have a terrible start and Arteta will get sacked and someone new will come in, or if actually this no no Europe is gonna really work to your advantage and suddenly you have a little run at the top four because you can effectively focus everything on that. I don't know. It's a very very tricky one and maybe as well it will we'll have to wait and see what you know like you said you've signed Tavares it looks like the Congo's coming and no doubt you'll sign a couple of other players um it'll be hard but I guess you asked me the question about you know who who at Spurs will come good this year I mean off the top of my head the guy that I w- I wonder what you think that you know um Balogun the striker he finally signed his new contract um Looks like Nketiah might leave, and so that opens up a place in the squad for Balogun. Are we are we going to be seeing quite a bit of him this year? What, is he someone that could potentially burst onto the scene?
1: He would have been one of those guys in line had we made the conference league to sort of be a starter potentially, or at least get minutes in that. I think he scored possibly on his debut in the Europa League or in a, in a cup competition oh. for Arsenal last season, perhaps. Um, so he's talked about and rated very highly uh it's just hard when you've got players who well actually Lacazette didn't underperform last season his numbers actually were, were quite decent Aubameyang fell off a cliff last season from a player who had been, had back-to-back you know seasons scoring you know tens and yeah, tens that of wasn't goals his, to wasn't
0: his final season I think it's fair you to know, say yeah
1: of course conveniently for him after we signed him up to a massive contract as well so Uh, why does he care but anyway like that was essentially our downfall for the most part last season was was scoring goals and having you know multiple players scoring goals and when your leading goal scorer goes from a top scorer in the league to a nothing player in the league goal scoring wise that that's that's a big difference if you know take the goals away from harry kane and you know that it's it's a grim thought for spurs fans so I don't know if Balogun's going to get the minutes just because of how, one, you don't want to, again, lean on a player like that. That's a big responsibility to put on someone. And then also just the personalities around him. Um, You just can't really see him getting ahead of Aubameyang and Lacazette if both of them are still at the club. Um, So we'll see. But I think uh, we're not going to see, I don't think, too much of a breakthrough. You know, hopefully I'm wrong, but it happened with Smith-Rowe already. It happened with Saka already. It sort of happened with Willock at Newcastle already. So if he gets minutes, I guess that would be the one that you'd really have an eye on in an Arsenal shirt. Um, So we'll see. I just think that I'm quite positive if the recruitment ends up being done well this summer, that we're in a decent position um, because of how we ended the season last season and um, how, like I said, if we hadn't started so poorly, we, we actually would be in with a shout. If we can keep Tierney fit, if we can keep Gabriel fit, or whoever his first choice pairing of center backs is fit, um, and get someone to play alongside Thomas Partey, play Smithrow and Saka and Pepe every week. We've got Martinelli floating around. We've got Lacazette and Obamyang. I think we should. <laughs> Oops, my, they, they agree with me. That's Zeus. Zeus is like, you tell him. You tell him about Arsenal's prospects for the upcoming season. I think uh, we should be aiming to finish. I think we should be aiming to challenge for the top four. To be honest with you, I know that sounds really ambitious, but um, that's that's kind of where I stand. Because under Arteta, we've beaten those teams. We've beaten Chelsea. We've beaten Manchester United. We've beaten Spurs. We've you know we've we've done it. We've beaten Liver. We have beaten Liverpool. Um, and, yeah, uh, it shows you beaten.
0: that's not the problem. Then the prob the the challenge that he has to solve this year is almost against the lesser teams not screwing up as much Mm -hmm. and also and also yeah like I think I think the main thing for Arsenal it's just don't if if you if the heads drop Arteta has to find a way of um really increasing morale quickly because like I said that's the only thing at the moment that does seem to be a little bit of a soft touch to Arsenal and maybe that's just because it's a fairly young team in a way but who knows who knows? Look, I hope you're terrible and it all gets. It, you've got the Amazon series, so it would be great if you just happen to have a terrible season and it's all captured on this um, Amazon documentary, but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. It could go the other way. It could be a depressingly like Arsenal randomly have a, a great season out of nowhere, but who knows?
1: I hope that's the case. I feel like it's almost a guarantee that it's going to go terribly now that we've signed up for this documentary. <laughs> Um, I hope so. But I, really hope so. I guess I guess just on that note, yeah. One last thing before we leave: who are going to be the the standout personalities? I think everyone sort of came to either love or hate even more than they already did. Someone like Deli Ali, and and there was the whole like Danny Rose storyline. the, the oh, yeah, Harry, Harry Kane stuff. What what are gonna who's gonna be make a prediction for um, sort of like maybe a twist oh. or, or something along the season? What are we gonna who, who's gonna get a lot of camera
0: time? Oh my god, I have a feeling in a weird way. I don't know what he's. I don't know, like, if Tierney could become a bit of a character just because he seems like such an old-fashioned. Fo- I don't know if they'll just kind of, they'll focus. I, maybe he won't be vocal, but he'll just be quite different. <laughs> to quite a lot it might be just quite interesting to see how he kind of interacts within the the modern world of football, where you know he seems he seems as pretty much as old school as it gets from like a footballer perspective, but. I don't know. There's there's definitely a few characters within that Arsenal squad, so I'm sure it will be entertaining.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think Saka might sort of get a bit of the limelight, and we'll, we'll see God, we'll see how that goes.
0: Just on that on that note, I uh, I said it earlier, but yeah, you know, I, I coming from a Tottenham for well, and an England fan, obviously, I I really do feel for the guy because he had a great Euros. You on our little group we have with some of our guests that come on the show, I know you you predicted he'd have a good tournament, which he did do. He had a great tournament. But, um, yeah, what, what a shame that it was him, really, to miss that decisive one. It's a real shame for everyone, I think, given he's so young. And you just have to hope that he, he can mentally recover from that because that's, mm. that's a tough, tough thing to happen at a young age. I think he,
1: he'll we'll see because, honestly, this is actually kind of his first big setback in his career. Um, So this is kind of a a defining moment for him in some ways, but I think he's either going to come back stronger just because that's all he does is just play well, uh, or he's going to be affected by it. So let's, let's hope not. And I think again, yeah, just before we go, you know, however many people are are listening to this, we've got to condemn the reaction of uh, people who took, took it to a racial place with the likes of uh, Sancho Rashford, and uh, Saka, and not to be a super negative person, um, apart from obviously pointing negativity towards that type of behavior. The first thing that I said after I think it was Sancho had missed was I turned to my friend at the pub and I said, I bet Sancho and Rashford are gonna get, have probably already gotten in the, you know, seconds that have passed racial abuse because and that's sad that that thought popped into my mind, and that it was, you know, vindicated as well. And obviously, Sadler went on went on to miss a penalty as well, and so he I got think sadly that too.
0: that thought uh, it definitely popped into my mind, and I think sadly, we, uh, well, sadly, as we saw from what actually did go on to happen, yeah, like you said, we could go on for that for a while, but you know, social media companies need to do a yeah. lot more because it's a disgrace, basically, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's disgusting, and. I can't I won't even try to get inside the mind of the people who who do stuff like that because it doesn't make any sense. Um, and yeah, I can't speak strongly enough about uh, how they need to reflect upon their actions and change them and take a Most sort of look at themselves. <laughs> so we'll uh, maybe try to find a lighter note um, to, to end on than that. Um, maybe yeah I was hoping for Arsenal to, to put in a great performance hopefully I'll be hearing about a Nuno Tavares like hat-trick against Hibbs from left-back um, by the end of, of tomorrow um, when this podcast should be out
0: yeah yeah my thing is hopefully by the time this podcast comes out Eric Dyer is no longer at Tottenham that's my that's my that's is my, that, uh, my, my is that no happening? no no, no. Okay. No, 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 that's not. That's just, and I mean, that's a bit mean. <laughs> but I'm sorry, Eric. I just, I don't want you
1: to be at Tottenham anymore. Sorry, mate. No, nah, no, nah, sorry, Eric. Yeah, I'll echo that or, or, or whatever. Um, get, out of, get out of Tottenham, Eric. My buddy doesn't want you there anymore. You and your brother <laughs> can fight people somewhere else. Not at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, unless you're a visiting fan. Um, anyways, listeners, viewers, we are on YouTube, of course. Um, if you have enjoyed that, please do Give us another listen, another view next time. Find us on all your favorite streaming platforms as far as podcasts. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're all over the place. Just look for United Mates Football Podcast, likewise on YouTube, subscribe there. And then on social media, you can keep track of everything that we are tweeting, Instagramming, Facebooking. I think the last two are lesser used than, than tweeting, but just roll with it. Um, we're doing all that stuff. We've got a website as well. That's unitedmatesfp.com com and then for the social handles it's just united mates fp at united mates fp until next time everyone cheers again joe listeners viewers take care of yourselves take care of each other goodbye